Hello and welcome to episode 16 of Analog on Relay FM. This episode of Analog is brought to you by lynda.com where you can instantly stream thousands of courses created by industry experts. For a very special 10-day free trial, visit lynda.com slash analog. It's also brought to you by our friends at Hover where you can get simplified domain management and by The Voting Project, a cool Kickstarter that I'm going to tell you about a little later on in the show. My name is Mike Hurley and I am joined by... I mean, how can he be a man that needs no introduction? Hello. Hi there. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm well. Uh, I have an important question for you. Okay. Is the concept of a sweet 16 something that happens in the UK? Um, I am familiar with the show uh, Super Sweet 16 or whatever it is, the MTV show. So. Oh, that, I missed that show. That was so good. Uh, that, that That's along the lines of uh, Big Fat Gypsy Wedding, which is equally terribly good. Um. Oh man, that was a great show. But yeah, I, it's a. I don't know if it was a, an American thing. I believe in Mexico, it's what quinceañero or something like Quince, that. Which quinceañera. Is, thank you. Uh, which is fifteenth uh, birthday. But um, yeah, we do we do it up big for the sixteenth uh, birthday, generally speaking, for especially for the young ladies. Now I know what we're talking about. I was like, where is where are we going with this? And then I realized it's episode sixteen. So this is our super sweet sixteen. That's right. We are able to get a learner's permit in most states in the United States. That is so excellent. our podcast our podcast can drive as long as you well not you because you don't have a license as long as I am in the car. It's also the age of consent in the United Kingdom. Didn't know if you knew that so I thought I'd tell you. Interesting. I did not know that. Yep. It's a little bit younger. Indeed. Well, everything's a little bit younger there. Yep. You can drink uh, drink, drink at 18. Uh, yeah. You can drive at 16 too. I think oh, you can start weird. learning to drive at 16 and, and you get your driving license at 17. I could be wrong about that. That's roughly the way it is in the, in the States. Uh, you fun do fact, it at school though, right? Uh, not everyone. I did not. Uh, not every school does. Uh, most do. That does not happen here at all. You have to pay. That's the way it was for me um, in my school when I was in high school, but not everyone is like that. Right. Okay. All right. So we have some follow-up. Let's start with... Um, Shilling. Would you like to shill a little I would bit? Love, I would love to shill. Relay FM now, now has a store at store.relayfm where you can buy beautiful merchandise, including a Relay FM t-shirt and Relay FM stickers of all of the shows. You can buy stickers of the shows individually, or you can buy a pack of all the stickers. Um, I am letting the hosts know via popularity contest of who has sold the most individual stickers, which I think is hilarious that I had that data. Um, Casey would, I th- probably would like to win. Uh, yes, I definitely would. So you need to plea for people to buy your stickers? Well, see, here's the thing. Of all of the show art, which is phenomenal, without question, it is, the, the, the show art that Frank Towers did is great. That being said, ours is clearly, without question, the best of them all. Mm, okay. And so if you wanted a delightful sticker, why would you not get analogs? Plus, whether you're in the UK or in the States or perhaps even down under, there will be a spelling on that sticker that works for you. Look at that. That is, it's like a campaign uh, speech of some kind. Right? So the, the idea of our store is, uh, it's our plan is for us to always have one. So stickers will always be in stock. And we're going to try and have the Real FM t-shirts always in stock too. But over time, we're going to have like limited runs of show t-shirts. And that's kind of the next thing. We want to start working on show t-shirts. But we need to kind of dip our toes in the water and understand how we're going to do this. Um, I apologize, international listeners, I apologize if you think the shipping rates are too expensive. There's nothing we can do. We have to run it all from the States because it it isn't economical for us otherwise. It does mean that shipping is international shipping. Um, but once you do the conversion rates on the products that you're buying and the shipping rates, it, it doesn't come out too badly. But for us to be able to make any money at all, we have to run it from one location. Uh, and also shipping is a fixed cost, I'm afraid. So there's nothing we can do about it. It sucks. I know it sucks, but... Imagine these beautiful products that you could own. Yeah. And and I mean, let's be honest. Do you really want someone like Jason Snell making fun of me forevermore about how his show is more popular than this show? I don't, we don't want that. I mean, Mike's going to be a smug jerk about it regardless because pretty well, much clockwise wins. Ah, uh, good point. All right. So let's 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 agree that it's not worth shaming Mike to make clock, clockwise win, but it is worth making Federico and Steven and Jason Snell and uh, Brad Dowdy and whoever else I'm not thinking of, it is worth shaming them and making Analog win. So get out there, 
order your stickers, order for everyone. As Twist Burn in the chat said, Liss is more, so order some stickers. The pen addict is pulling away. Just want to let you know. Ah, Brad Doty! It sold five times the amount of stickers. Really? See? Mm Mm-hmm. Get on it, people. Anyway, we'll we'll stop shilling. And when I say shilling, I don't mean the ridiculous currency that you use. I mean trying to sell stuff. Pounds, shillings, and pence. Wait, what's what's a shilling? Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's like it, I think it was less than a penny. Um, ah, but it, it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, the shilling is a unit of currency, and in the UK and other British currencies, uh, uses use. Wikipedia is useless. <laughs> All right. So now that we've spent about 10 minutes talking about virtually nothing, uh, virtual, um, let's do some follow-up. Okay. So let's start with, um, if you wanted to manage your finances, Mike, what would you recommend or what did people recommend that you use? A service I'd never heard of called YNAB.com. You need a budget. Like, I the only feedback I had last week about budgeting was people telling me to try this service. Like, I maybe got about a couple of emails and maybe like five or six tweets about it. And it was Mm. everybody said that I need to try this out. So I've downloaded their app. I haven't really looked at it yet. But it seems like a pretty involved budgeting tool. So Now, are you a budgeter kind of person? Or have you you kept a budget either now or in the past? Or is that not your... Yeah, see, neither am I. Couldn't be further away, but but it's one of those things where I I should probably start considering uh, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So yeah, uh, I'm, I've downloaded the You Need a Budget app to my iPhone, and, and I'll sign up for an account and I'll give it a go. Yeah, I'd be curious to hear what you think. Um, my method of budgeting is basically spend less than I bring in. Yeah, but how do you that- keep track of that though? Well, because I so I use an app called MoneyWell, and I used to use Quicken when I was a PC user. Um, and basically, I just enter everything. So you into are budgeting that. then, in in this essence, because you're keeping track. I mean, I literally I am keep no track. track of anything. Yeah, see, that seems a little little cavalier to me. But but see, to me, budgeting is all right. Given given in this window of time, usually a month, I will allocate this much money to food and this much money to incidentals and this much money to internet and stuff like that. I don't budget to that granular level, but I do keep up and make sure that the trend is we are spending less than we are making. It's very responsible. I try. All right. Um, We have a little bit of follow-up about the last episode wherein we kind of meandered into me maybe wanting to quit my job. Maybe, probably. I don't know. We'll see. But um, we had some feedback about that, and let's start with um, the user Clueless, which unfortunately is not spelled L-I-S-S, which would have been hysterical. Um, this person who... It doesn't have to be... No, everybody has to, to conform to your name, you know. Just so you know. I just want you to know that. Oh, really? Yeah, that is true. I'm, I'm afraid to let you down there. But... Is that on Wikipedia? Because I don't think it's true. If you had a Wikipedia page. Yes, oh, <laughs> that is cold. Well played, but that is cold. <laughs> anyway, Clueless says, having been made redundant twice, your employment is down to someone else. What would you do, Casey, if you were let go? Do you call it made redundant? Um, I mean, I think that's an accurate statement, but that's not like, that's not how you're, it's referred to colloquially. I mean, usually... Isn't that what a pink slip is? It's the, yeah, yeah we don't need you anymore. Yeah, here's some money. Thanks very much. Get out yep. of here. Like, friendly firing, basically. <laughs> yeah, right? So Clueless makes a great point. I mean, he he's right that, and Marco has said this in the past as well, um, even though I work at a jobby job or a J-O-B job where it stands to reason that if I continue to show up and do a decent job, if I do my work well enough... I probably will not be fired and I will probably not be laid off. That was the term I was looking for uh, rather than made redundant. Anyway, I probably won't be laid off. I probably won't be fired unless, you know, I do something egregious or I just don't do enough. Um, And so on the one side, this is absolutely true. It could be that tomorrow, by no fault of my own, it ends up that our company is way in debt and we're all out of jobs. Could happen. The thing is, though, 
At some companies, I think that that's very likely for any particular individual. At some companies, that's not very likely. Maybe I'm being delusional, and I'm sure that I will get plenty of feedback that says, oh, you think you know that you're safe, and you think that the company's in the black, but you have no idea. And maybe that's true. But a company's been around 15 years or so, give or take a little bit, and they've never, to my knowledge, we've never not paid anyone or anything like that. It's not like a startup or anything. So it's a pretty consistent paycheck and I'm, and we get paid pretty well in, in terms of like frequency, you know, I, there's no outward indication that I would, that I would get laid off or, or that the company will need to downsize. In fact, most of the time we're actively hiring. So while, while Clueless is absolutely hiring doesn't mean you're safe though. Ah, Fair point. They could be hiring for jobs that aren't yours. Mm -hmm. And that's true. Um, I guess, I guess, I don't know if I'm being willfully ignorant or, or not, but the likelihood of me getting laid off or fired, I don't view that as terribly likely. So to me, so in summary, to me, this is a fairly consistent, fairly regular, um, reliable and stable job. And that's, what's so hard to say no to. Like, even again, I'm not saying I. I can, but hypothetically, if I could say no to it because of all the other stuff, I don't know that I would want to because it's so stable and it's so reliable. And so why would I throw that away, you know? I think, though, that the more interesting thing that Clueless is getting at is not are you unsure about it, but what do you do, though? Like, let's say you go in tomorrow and your boss sits you down and is like, Casey, we love you, but, and, you know, we would be less without you. Uh, but it's it's time to let you go like the idea is like so then you're forced into um you are forced then into a world of unemployment then what route do you take yeah and i don't know what i would do to be honest with you in that sense and and by the way i think you're right i think that probably was the the point that he was driving at um I, I think what I would probably do is probably give it a whirl doing the on the side stuff, try to find another side hustle that will bring in a few extra dollars to get me over the hump. But um, I don't know. I would, I mean, I think my response to him on Twitter was that I would cry. And that I think is absolutely accurate. I would come home and I would cry. And it's definitely, um, it's definitely doubly stressful for me. And you, you had talked about this, uh, Mike, in the last show, because, you know, Erin has taken a leave of absence from her, from her job. And, you know, she could go back, but we'd very much prefer for her not to. So let's leave that option off the table. You know, now it's all on my shoulders to keep now three people alive. And that's that's a lot of pressure. And so I, I don't know what I would do. I suspect I would give it a couple of months, see how I did, see if we could live on less money. And then if I could, then I'd probably just let it cruise and see what happened. If I couldn't, then I'd, you know, just go find another jobby job. Okay. Have you thought about it anymore since last week? A little bit. Um, Aaron and I have talked about it some, um, because a couple of the show. Of, well, actually, she hasn't heard the show yet, but I talked to her about what was said on the show, and in 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 short, and you know, it's it's interesting, and you know, something we've kicked around, which I have no idea if my job would even allow, is you know, what if I went part time? You know, what if I did three or four days a week? You know, what if I agreed with my job that I would make less money, but I would only work four days a week? Like, would that be? And then that's your other side hustle, like. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't know. I don't, and we haven't really reached any conclusions. Um, you know, we, we've been thinking about, uh, you know, could could we could I maybe farm myself out to one of my friends? You know, could could someone need a little extra help? You know, and maybe I could do that again just to get me over the hump. And maybe I don't know. But I mean, we've certainly thought thought about it. We've talked about it. But she and I are both so risk adverse that. I'm skeptical I'll ever have the uh, gumption to do it. But we'll see. Uh, Why don't you tell me about something that's really cool? This week's episode of Analog is brought to you by lynda.com, an easy and affordable way to help individuals and organizations learn. With lynda.com, you can get access to a growing library of hundreds of thousands of high-quality 
fantastically produced video tutorials that are there to help you learn something new. Lynda.com is all about helping you turn your ideas into hobbies and if you want your hobbies into businesses. They can help you learn something you've always wanted to try or help you perfect something you always wanted to know. Or maybe perfect something you already know. Linda works directly <laughs> with people who are total experts in their field. Sometimes they work with creators of the half software or hardware products that the videos are about to make sure that they have the very best person to help you learn. Their courses are broken down into bite-sized manageable chunks allowing you to jump in and out at your own pace. Linda makes it easy to help build a course that's tailored to you. You can create your own playlists of videos so you can plan what you want to watch and when you want to watch it. So for example, you want to learn how to make an iPhone app. So maybe you want to learn the fundamentals of programming. Maybe you know nothing at all. Uh, and then you want to start to learn Swift. You can maybe then have a Swift video and then you may want to learn a little bit about iOS development just in general. You've got videos about that. Then maybe you want to learn a bit about marketing and social media stuff because it's all like the progression of building your app and putting it out into the world. You can create your own little playlist and you can set these little goals for yourself to watch these videos and create that next million dollar app. Linda also have transcripts that appear with their videos. This can help you whilst you're watching the video to follow along with what's being said. And they're also searchable, allowing you to go in later and find exactly what you're looking for. They have great apps for the iPhone, the iPad and Android that allow you to watch the videos on the go. And you can get unlimited access to all of Linda's courses for just $25 a month. I mentioned some courses already, you know, about like development, stuff like that. But maybe you just want to learn how to be a better presenter. Maybe you've got some stuff that you're doing at work or you're doing some public speaking. They have courses on this. So this is from the practical stuff of actually creating keynote or PowerPoint decks, but also about presentation skills just in general. Or maybe you want to work better. So you want to learn a bit about time management. Or maybe if you want to, you can even learn how to touch type with lynda.com. They have courses on everything. If for some reason you haven't already tried out Linda, now is the time as we have a special extended 10-day free trial for listeners of this show. Go to lynda.com slash analog. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash analog to sign up. Thank you so much to Linda for the continued support of this show and the Relay FM podcasting network. Thanks, Linda. And that is nice that they're given a, a super mega bonus trial. That, that's some serious stuff. They love us, so and we love them. The uh, transcript, the live transcript stuff, really is amazing. I I had tried Linda for a little while, and and I need to actually um, get my account back because I want to learn more about photography stuff. But anyways, uh, their their transcript, their live transcript, it sounds so silly, and it's like, yeah, okay, that's that's wonderful. But really, you you have to try it out. It's really amazing and really well done. It's one of the best things, like, and and it's it's I don't know I don't know if it's hard to explain, but it's like I don't I don't think you can understand the power of it until you actually go yep. in and use it. Yep, I agree. Um, all right, so we got some feedback from listener N. Mike, would you like to uh, tell us about this? Yeah, so we say listener N because I tried to confirm if we could read this on the show, but we're not sure. So listener N, if you're out there, thank you. What do you think, Casey? Do you think that was dramatic enough? I was going for drama. I think it would have been better with a suspense accent, but we'll let it go. I can add one. If, you, if you'd like to add one, you know, for listener N, who may or may not be listening. God, we're so good. We're so good. I know. It's like, it's like we prepare this in advance. Uh, listener N <laughs> uh, wrote in, uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read from the, the email that they sent. Um, Mike was talking about company loyalty, and my understanding from Casey is that he's also been in the same jobby job for a long time. I've had the same employer for almost 10 years. I got the job when I came out of college. And as far as I know, I'm one of the only people in my graduating class who's in that unusual for these days position. Right? So similar like me, right? I, I left college uh, and actually went straight into employment just as listener mm -hmm. ended. I wonder if you guys had any feels about this. I find the consistency appealing even in spite of changes, but I also realize that my pay is probably less than my peers who've moved on every three or four years with an opportunity to negotiate salary and benefits above and beyond the cost of living and performance increases each year. It kind of seems like I'm pursuing a career tr track that isn't viable in today's software market as it was just a couple of decades ago, or there's a disconnect between how I want a jobby job career to work and the more practical facts about how they actually work. So, I mean, I sort of mentioned this last week a little bit, and it, and it is very interesting, like how, I think I spoke about this last week, or I have spoken about it on the show, about how, you know, I'd spent eight years at my company and was being paid significantly less, um, like to, to the tune of like 10,000 pounds a year. 
less than some of my coworkers because I stayed with the company and just went through the small increases every year for for salary but like and and bonuses and the like so because I never left or because I weren't was not put in a position where I could negotiate I was paying a lot less but the security was what I wanted because I didn't want to rock the boat while I was trying to build my own side business so considering Casey that you are in this position right now like as in you're you are still in your jobby job your mm-hmm. your regular old job job uh how do you how do you feel about that? Right. So it's probably worth very quickly talking about my employ, employment history. So this is my fourth jobby job. Um, the first one I was there just shy of two years. Second one I was there a little over two years. The last one, the prior one, I was there four or four and a half years, something like that. Um, and what's interesting about loyalty um, is that that job did a complete 180. In the beginning, when I was hired at this particular place, um, it was a company of maybe 200 people, give or take a little bit. And it was a super tight-knit group, really loved to have fun, really worked very, very hard. And it, it was a tremendous place to work. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Over the four years that I was there, it changed dramatically. Um, we grew way too fast, in my personal opinion. And so we lost a lot of that culture that we had once had. Um, and then right around the time I left, we ended up selling to this multinational conglomerate based out of Washington, D.C., which is two hours north of us by car. And it just completely changed over the course of those four years. And it's and the reason that, that this ties into loyalty is at year two in that job, if you had told me you, that I would that I would retire as an employee of that company, I would have said, yeah, that makes sense. Like, that's how much I love that job. And by year four, you couldn't get me out of there fast enough. And what changed? Then, and so a lot of stuff changed. Um, I think to some degree, my priorities changed, and I was, I was starting to not be as enamored with working constantly. Right. Um, the the tagline or the motto for this particular company at the time, anyway, was "Never fail a client." It was another consulting firm. And we took that never fail client thing very seriously. And the thing of it was, was that the end of that sentence, which we never really mentioned, was never fail a client, even if that means all of your employees need to break their backs all the time. And so I was working constantly. I was grumpy a lot by the end of it. And in the beginning, a lot of the social stuff, like when we would go out to a bar and have have drinks or if we would have a party at the office... Um, a lot of the social stuff, I think, let us blow off the steam we needed to, to keep us happy. Um, but by the end, the social stuff had kind of gone away. And so it was just straight up work and the people hadn't really changed that much. I mean, there's still awesome, awesome, awesome people, but it wasn't, it wasn't as much fun. And then it just became a regular old job. And at that point it was like, well, I don't really know why I'm sticking around because I'm not really enjoying it. And I, and I'd been asking my, my boss at the time, you know, Hey, I'd really like to stop doing, as it turns out, this is, they're not a sponsor today, but, um, instead of doing, uh, work on SharePoint, which is something that Igloo is a competitor with, um, and Igloo is way better instead of doing work on SharePoint, I'd like to do work on something else. And, and it never really happened because to the company, it was less important that I was happy and more important that they were able to put butts in the seat to get work done. And so after a while, I was like, you know what? It's just not for me. And so I've been at my current job for um, two and a half years, roughly. And and the thing I'm struggling with is I do like it. I really do like it. And the people are awesome. They're just incredible, incredible people. And I don't remember if I mentioned this on the last show, but you know, we rallied around a, a, one of our coworkers who had um, so, uh, some form of cancer and, and had to be out for like six months. Yeah, well, she came. This, okay. Yeah. So we came together and like, and, and we're able, we're now able to send her back to Disney world, which is where she kind of found out that everything was going bad and she had to abandon her trip, you know, to do that for your coworker. That's amazing. That's so awesome. But in the end of the day, no matter how much you love your coworkers, no matter how awesome the place that you work is in the end of the day, it's still a business. And in the end of the day, even the most loyal businesses in the world 
will always, always, always be selfish and, and the business will always come first. And that's, there's, I mean, that's not a knock on my current company. It's just the way business works, at least in America. So there's nothing. I, I, so it, is there loyalty to my company? Well, yeah, but I don't feel like they have an, an, I, I feel like my loyalty is commensurate with the loyalty they have to me. And I think they like me a lot there, but in the end of the day, if they need to lay me off, like we were talking about earlier, they'll do it because it's a business and it's not personal. It's business. I used to have a lot of loyalty for my company and I still had some uh, by the time that I left, but there were things that were happening like scandals or whatever that, that rocked it. And when the first type of thing happened like that, which questioned my loyalty, I was very upset about it because um, to me, it was like, we're doing great things here. You know, we're helping people. And then as soon as I realized that actually there are people that do bad things uh, and the company will try and maybe cover them up or, mm-hmm. you know, or the fact that there just are people high up in the company that, that are selfish and care about themselves and want to steal and things like that, um, that that was a big blow to me and I never kind of, I never gained it back after that point. Uh, yep. And it, it was a big shock. And that was because I was kind of young and naive. Um, yeah. You know, but, but it was, it, having loyalty is important, I think, but it, it, there's a two way street. You shouldn't be like blindly loyal to a company. Um, you should only be loyal in a selfish way in the same way that they are as well. Like companies are loyal to you because they want you to be there to make money for them, right? So exactly, your loyalty should be based on how much you get out of the company. And if it's not getting you anything, then don't be loyal to it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And and I I echo your sentiments. Where here again, I'm co- talking about that prior company. I was a little bit younger when I started, and I think I was kind of wooed by the the almost startup-like atmosphere. And in fact, a lot of the higher-ups at this company were in a dot-com startup and and they would tell tales of, you know, throwing chairs out of windows because they could, like Herman Miller chairs out of windows because why not? They can. And, um, and so I, I think when I was younger, I was really wooed by it. But as I've gotten older, and to be fair, a little bit more cynical, it's been made apparent to me that even even if the individual's in the company are fiercely loyal to anyone, any particular employee. The company as a as an amorphous entity can only be but so loyal. And so I don't I also can only be but so loyal to it. Does that make sense? Yep. Talking about companies as entities just is one of those uh differences between American English and correct English. Mm-hmm. Um is the way that you guys talk about companies as if they're a person as like one unit as mm-hmm. opposed to a, a collection of parts. Like you would say like uh, today Apple announced or uh, yep, Apple yep. is or Apple did rather than like Apple have. You know, so you talk about it like that where we would maybe, it's hard to think of, of instances. I always struggle to think of instances like this, but we, we refer to companies as a sum of parts. Yep. Yep. A, and I always find it weird. I, I, I don't get why why you refer to them as single things. Yeah. And like Apple did. No. I, I agree. And I you know, it sounds funny the way the Brits say it, because I grew up the other way. I grew up the way Americans say it, where a company is an entity. But um but I think it's it's kind of sets in an unnecessary and unreasonable um I don't know, like tone that a company isn't, it isn't an entity yet. So many of our laws kind of treat it that way. And it's just, I don't know, it's no good, but I'm not trying to get political. It's not about politics. You know what it is about? It's about our friends. This episode of Analog is also brought to you by a real friend. Then that's Hover. Hover are real friends. Quite simply, Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names. I can't, I was talking to somebody about this the other day, uh, about, you know, how, how effusive we are when we talk about Hover. So I was saying, like, when you talk about Hover, you really, like, say, like, how incredible they are. Like, because they are, you know, like, if you look at the domain management experience, they are the only company that you should use because they are the best at what they do. And it simply comes from the fact that they give you an experience that you want as opposed to an experience that you have to just go through. Like, if you imagine, like, an obstacle course, 
And imagine that like in this obstacle course that you can either take the path where you just run all the way to the end or you've got the path which is full of pits and flames and stuff, right? Hover is the simple path and all of the other people are the horrible path. Because with Hover, you don't have to bat away 10,000 screens with, would you like to buy this? Upgrade now. Get the Domain Plus Pro Power Package. You don't need to do any of that. You go there, you search for the names that you want. They have a great engine which can either find you all of the TODs that are available or show you words and phrases that are similar to what you're looking for that you might be able to get, you know, so it gives you some ideas of some other domains. You get .coms, .co, .me, .net, everything you're used to. Lots of stuff that you're not used to, like .diamonds and .academy, but you can get those too. Great for jokes, really, those, those TLDs. The only good uses I've seen of them so far. Like marco.coffee, for example, is a, is a great uh, .coffee domain that you should, mm-hmm. you should visit. Uh, you they should. have great prices. .coms, for, for example, are available at twelve ninety nine, and all of Hover's domains feature who is privacy for free because that's just something that should be offered to you for free. You shouldn't have your information out on the internet if you don't want it. Uh, Hover also has fantastic customer support. They have a no-hold, no-wait, no-transfer telephone support policy. They have great email support, great guides on the DNS stuff. They have their valet service, everything. You should go and check them out because they are the best. Go to hover.com right now. Use the code GOODBYECASEY at checkout, and you'll get 10% off your first purchase at hover.com and show your support for this show. So it's GOODBYECASEY at checkout. Thank you so much to Hover for sponsoring this week's episode. Oh my! You know, there's a Casey.coffee which I did not create. Is it? Is it a picture of you drinking coffee? No, it is not. But you can you can check that out as well. Um, one very quick final piece of follow up. This this we we're keep trying to get to the email episode. I don't know if we're gonna, but another piece of follow up with regard to the job thing. Um, this is from Williams, uh, Scott Williams. He said, uh, Casey, I used to be like you. I was a .NET developer for 10 years and a consultant for the last six. I was getting really tired of .NET towards the end and decided to force a change. I quit about a year and a half ago to do my own thing, focusing on iOS, Rails, Node, and other web stuff. My goal, of course, was to be, you know, like Mark, the Marco or underscores the world. Turns out that's pretty hard to pull off. I've got a couple apps out there that combined may have earned about as much as fast text. Um, and he has a link to one of them, which if I remember, I'll put in the show notes. Uh, fortunately, the consulting work has paid really well. You said, quote, you have to drum up the work, quote. Yup, this time's a thousand. That's clearly the hardest part. And it literally keeps me up at night. Finding clients hasn't been too rough since quality developers are still in demand, but it is still stressful. Um, and he goes on a little bit more than that. Um, the other interesting piece he said was the best thing I did was set up a whole company that paid me a regular salary. This meant that during the feasting times, the bank account would fill up and still pay out during the lean times. This alone has kept my wife breathing easier. And I thought that was a really good idea. Um, but he, he summarized, you could do it. You absolutely could, especially if you stuck with .NET. It's not easy, but it's not unbearably hard either. It's just trading one set of problems for a different one. And that's something I really am worried about. Like if I, um, if I were to hypothetically quit my jobby job, um, you know, am I just, is the grass really greener on the other side? And I don't know, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but something to think about. All right. Are we done with the follow-up now? I feel like John Syracuse, for God's sakes. I think so. Excellent. Are we actually getting to email now? We can. All right, let's do it. So, like, 100 years ago, uh, we spoke about email. I think it was episode 11, right? Something like that. It, it was certainly a while ago. And it was an episode that was was quite interesting, I think. Um, it was one that I was a little bit concerned about. But uh, people seemed to actually quite like it. It, it received many more positive uh feedback pieces than I expected because I kind of came out of that episode feeling like I sounded like an idiot, you know? That's how I felt about the last one, actually. Yeah, so I I thought it would be quite interesting to say. Like, um, basically, I was concerned about that episode because I felt that people might react badly to what I was saying. So, you know, I was kind of saying about how uh, after a certain period of time, I think that an email is kind of like not worth replying to. Uh, and I was complaining about about email in general and stuff like that. 
Um, but it seemed like people on the whole were okay with with what I was saying, I assume, uh, unless maybe they took it better than what I thought, but who knows. But it's an interesting thing about this show in general, and you just mentioned it then, Casey. Like, sometimes we say things, and I'm like, oh, I don't know how people are going to react to that. And, and on the whole, people tend to react quite well. Um, maybe people just turn off, I don't know. Uh, but it is this interesting <laughs> thing because we kind of like with this show more than any other, like I'm laying out on the line some real truths uh, and it can be a bit uh, nerve wracking at times, I think. Mm. Yep. Um, you know, I, I thought the feedback was really good as well. Um, I did think it was funny that both of us, but I guess especially you got a crap load of email that week. Because people were just uh-huh. messing with you. Which... I got some troll emails, which I thought were quite funny. And, and so it was basically just people emailing me and saying, you don't need to reply to this. Uh, right. Which was, I, I genuinely enjoyed it. I thought it was hilarious. Um, but there is this thing that I'm getting now, which, uh, I mean, I kind of mentioned it, I think, last week. Like, people are saying to me, you don't have to reply to this. Which is nice. It's nice to know that people don't, don't, don't accept don't expect a response but don't feel like you have to do that you know and, and if you do want to email me email me like there is a strong chance i'll read it like i try and read everything uh even if they're like huge i at least skim them but is the whole idea is like for me still like twitter is the best way to receive and give feedback because it's something that i'm much more um on top of you know yeah, I agree. I mean, if you want me to read what you've written, the best way is to put it on Twitter. I cannot remember a time I did not read all of my mentions. I try my darndest and almost always succeed in reading all of my emails. That said, I almost I, anytime I feel like I can contribute anything to the conversation, I will reply on Twitter, which is why I have something like 36,000 tweets. Um, whereas with email, I may reply, and if I do, it probably won't be timely. Now, I don't take it quite to the level of CGP Grey, but I probably should. And in fact, we can talk about my homework, if you'd like, which was to go back to an episode of Hello Internet, episode number six, which uh, in which CGP Grey and uh, Brady Heron, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Um, talked about how they handle email. Mm-hmm. and. And so you had asked me to, to to listen to this. Was there a specific reason or just in general you thought it would be worth li- listening to? It was interesting to me because when I listened to this originally, I was kind of felt like I was nodding my head a bit about the things that they were talking about, especially that what Gray was saying about the way that mm-hmm. he deals with email. But he kind of takes it to the ultimate stage, you know, and he's very, very procedural about how um, he deals with his email. Like, so the episode's name is Delete Flag, Delete Reply. So he kind of just like, basically he has this system like if he receives an email um and he in seconds decides upon reviewing them if he wants to do anything with it so for example i love this quote that i took about if i see a scroll bar i delete it immediately (laughs) it's like if he has a feedback email and a scroll bar in it delete it and and i understand that because it's like I don't know of any really good feedback I've had that was like thousands of words long. I mean, it does. Of course, it happens. But they're like exceptions to the rule. People are typically going off at you. I mean, you get a lot more of this kind of feedback than me. Like if you see an email and it's like hundreds, if not thousands of words long, what is that usually like for you? I mean, I'm sure you probably get really technical stuff though, don't you? Um, Sometimes. A lot of times what I've found is we'll get these tremendous um like multi-thousand word emails like writing a review of something like especially when the new iPhones came out we got more than a handful of people writing us like these humongous long reviews and emailing it to us and i don't know how to approach this delicately but why would I want a multi-thousand word unsolicited review about hardware that I have myself? You know, like what, what, what is the expectation? What am I supposed to be gaining from this? And so it's gotten to the point that I am nowhere near CGP Gray's level of, um, I don't know. I can't think of the word I'm looking for, but like harshness, but I uh, ultra, have ultra efficiency, I think is what I would yeah, that's a, that's a positive way of spinning it. Um, ultra efficiency. But I certainly have gotten to the point that if I see like a multi paragraph, hugely long um, email, 
I'll usually read, and I think CGP talked about this, I'll read the first couple of paragraphs, and if I don't see a point quickly, then it gets archived and, mo- and I move on. Because said, it's just he, not his, worth His it. system is reading the first, two senten- the first sentence of the first two paragraphs, because that will give a good idea of what the actual topic of the email is. Mm-hmm. So, like, he, one of the things that I thought was really interesting they were both talking through is, like, that, that they they basically went through the same process that we did. I mean, so these guys, so Gray and Brady, they they have audiences of millions. Um, and so their email inboxes are, like, if we think that ours are bad, like, it's got to be just insane. And Gray was talking through the process that he went through. So at first he replied to everyone. Then he started to feel guilty when he didn't reply. Then he made a decision, like he just sat down, decided to himself how he was going to deal with his email, and then the guilt went away, and it became just a process. And there was just this one soundbite that I love, and and this is what helped me. Email is not your job. Like your job, like our job is creating podcasts, right? We are Mm -hmm. creating entertainment. Email is actually not a part of that. Like I know that we have follow-up, and follow-up is a thing that we talk about, but that's like an addition to the shows. Like our job is not to reply to emails. Like, and I think when I when I started to think in those terms, it made me feel I then don't feel guilty anymore. Like I have a way that I deal with email, right? I just kind of try and do what I can with it. If I see something quickly, it grabs me, I respond to it straight away, I'm happy with it. But if it's sitting in my email inbox for weeks and weeks and weeks, unless that's a, a conscious decision that I've made, then... I may just remove it because, you know, that's mm-hmm. the episode title that we did, your thank you has expired. Like, I just feel like at that point, if all I'm going to say is cheers, um, I may as well get rid of right. it. I, I just think it's really interesting. I just think it's an, an interesting way of thinking about it. Oh, I agree. Let me, um, let me press you a little bit on one thing you said, though, um, that email is not our job. I agree with you that it isn't. But I remember the days before I had a podcast and when I wrote in to, and before I knew John Syracuse very well, for example, and when I wrote in, although I, don't, I can't remember having written emails, but just in general, like when I tweet at someone that I think is famous, not to say that either of us is famous, but you know what I'm driving at. Um, when I tweet at someone that I think is famous and I get any sort of acknowledgement back from that, that feels really good. And so it is not my job to reply to tweets or to reply to emails, but I could make an argument that me doing so, me engaging with our audience, which makes me feel so dirty having phrased it that way, but you know what I mean? Me engaging like that, that helps us, does it not? Because it helps our audience feel like, hey, these are real people and and these people care and care enough to say thank you or cheers or oh wow i didn't consider that or oh, hey thanks for the feedback and thanks for listening you know what i mean so i would have agreed with you except for the feedback that we got about the episode so what, what the, <laughs> the prevailing the prevailing feeling is people seem to expect twitter replies more than email replies i didn't get to my knowledge and i mean i saved a bunch of tweets and i'm going to read from them in a moment uh, about people that were saying that you know that they didn't expect email replies. Nobody contacted me. I was like, when I email you, I expect a reply. Nobody said that to me, and I was expecting maybe not those words as harshly, but just like something along those lines. So I'm gonna. Mm-hmm. So we had Brian Schrader said, uh, "Pleasantly, I'm more uh, sorry. Personally, I'm more pleasantly surprised when I get a response than angry that I didn't." which I think is is a, a prevailing feeling, at least that I have. If I email somebody about something like this, or like if I email somebody uh, to be a guest on the show, I'm never angry if they don't reply to me. Um, Bren Finan, Finan said, um, you seem to think that effort put into an email means equal effort should go into response. Generous but impossible, which I quite liked. Yeah, and That no, was I a really, really like cool that. thing. Like, and, and that made me feel a little bit better about just sending thank you responses if I'm going to do that ever. Mm-hmm. And my, I think this is my favorite, actually. Chuck Jacobson said, your personal mental health is way more important than me hearing back if I email you, take care of yourself. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I think that that may have shown how the episode came across, uh, that I was kind of losing my mind about email a little bit. Um, but I think that this re- they were just some really interesting things that, that we picked out. And I guess it's nice to know that people do feel that way, I guess, that, that, you know, that they don't necessarily expect a response. Right, right. I don't know. Um, I, I completely agree. And uh, the other piece of feedback we got um, was we got or two kind of related pieces of feedback. Um, we got some from friend of the show, Katie Floyd, and she had recommended SaneBox, which I guess yep. is some sort of like 
tool to to curate your inbox? I'm asking, not telling. Is it's, that right? It's a I haven't tried it out yet, but I plan on doing it. It's something that you set up some rules and it learns a bit about the way that you use email and then tries to categorize and deal with things a little better for you. I do have this concern about something touching my email automatically. Yeah. I don't trust systems like that so much. Like, for example, I use Mailbox. A Mailbox has a feature called Auto Swipe where apparently it feels that if you're getting emails and just um, marking, sending them to archive straight away, it says to you, would you like us to always mark, uh, send these straight to the archive? But like nine times out of ten, um, we these are never emails that I would want that to happen to. Right, like, right. So because some stuff I just I get it, read it, and never, don't reply to it, but archive it. But there's stuff that I need to see, so there might be notifications of things. Yeah. So. I hear you. Um, there's another kind of similar service that uh, John Voorhees recommended called Wayfind. I've used that yeah, with I've my that. personal account. Um, I personally was not that impressed by it, but his point was, um, and now I'm quoting, just whitelist the people and topics you really care to hear from or about right away and then blow through the rest periodically. I understand the idea. To me, I don't know. It just seems... It, it seems like somebody else is con- in control, like you were saying, Mike. Yeah, I, I don't like the I feeling just, that. I just get a little bit. I'm not. I'm not sure about it. And yes, you know. Okay, so Pete, I'm sure people. I'm sure we'll get some feedback. Yes, I use Mailbox, and yes, they sit in between. I get that. Like I know that, but they don't do anything that I'm aware of unless I tell them to do it. It's like you know, like obviously Mailbox, they sit in between me and Gmail, um, so they can send me push notifications and stuff. Uh, right, right. But I don't. I, I, I don't know. I feel like they're not. They're not doing things I don't know about. But who knows? But just using a service like that makes me feel a little uncomfortable. I don't know. I tend to agree. Um, then listener Jonathan had some good points. Do you want to run through that? And then I'd like to come back around to Hello Internet afterwards. Yeah. So this is an email that that listener Jonathan sent in to me. Um, and and this one was a uh, was quite interesting because it was. Yeah, I'll read it. So to grow the podcast network that you have, you will need to engage with your audience. And this will be a two-way conversation and email will be a part of this. Basically, he was telling me to man up. Um, New podcast programs may rely on email as part of the show. If you make your email policy clear to people and communicate regularly, for example, Casey is busy for Sprout reasons. Listeners will understand when email isn't answered. And in Mike, in three weeks' time, you're going to have 40 extra hours not to deal with email. So this was obviously before I'd left my job. But he was basically just saying to me, like, grow a pair and deal with it better. And I I don't necessarily think that that is bad... um, like that is a bad response, mm-hmm. uh, but it was just interesting. It's just another interesting way to look at it. Yes, of course, I need to engage with people, and I appreciate that. Um, and and it's up to me how I manage that, and I need to take any responsibility on it. And if I don't want to do it, then that that may be to my detriment, and I just need to appreciate and understand that. Right. Right. Let me uh, just thank our final sponsor for this week's episode, and then we can yes, please. we can move on, and we can. We can finally finish off this this mammoth <laughs> feedback episode, apparently, that this has become. Yep. So this is a really cool sponsor that I want to tell you about. And this is something uh, that is, is it, it kind of hits my home country a little bit more, which is an interesting one because they don't we don't really pick up these things as much. So this is the voting project. And let me tell you about what the voting project is. After an election, there's no guarantee that a government's policies will reflect what the majority of people believe. What would elections look like if we voted for policies and not parties? When in 2015, the voting project will launch a digital election in parallel to the UK general elections is where we pick our government. People won't vote for party candidates, but policy ideas contributed by the public. The results won't feature parties either, just policy outcomes. The voting project are going to work with data visual visualization artists to see, hear, and 3D print your personal policy beliefs. This is an experiment that they are running in voter engagement. It might not be a realistic way to run a country, but it will help everybody better understand what people believe. But the voting project needs your help. They currently have a Kickstarter campaign, and they need your help. You can do this for as little as one pound, and you will help spark an international conversation and together help redesign what democracy can mean. There are great rewards on offer, so go pledge now at thehumanproject.is forward slash kickstarting, which is quite cool. The human project is kickstarting. That's the oh, URL. I get it. 
So, uh, but if you can't afford to pledge, they have another way that they want to try and engage people in the campaign that they're running. They're doing something called a policy selfie. So, <laughs> I love this. Post a photo of yourself on social media holding a policy idea. So something you want to see happen to our country, our fair country. I guess you guys in America can get involved too if you really want to, but, you know, UK, <laughs> UK. Uh, oh, and if God. you want to tag it with hashtag policies, not parties, and challenge your friends to do the same, and you can see the results update live at policiesnotparties.com. So go check those guys out. This is a really interesting one. I think I, I like seeing small companies do stuff like this and trying to kind of rethink the way that our country is run. Yeah, it is a very cool idea. Very different. I like it. All right. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about Hello Internet. And unfortunately, when I listened to it and took notes on it, I didn't take terribly awesome notes. So I'm not, I might be attributing things that CGP said to myself. I might be attributing things that I thought to him. So I might let, be able just, to help. I've listened to this episode a couple of times now. Okay. So if I am accidentally taking credit for something that CGP said, then my, my deepest apologies. Um, that is not by intent. So uh, I had written in our show notes document, uh, Casey's Thoughts. And one of the first things that I, that I wrote, actually the first thing I wrote down was three seconds to convince me it's worth reading, which is what I believe CGP had said. That strikes me as super harsh. I think it's moving, it's in the right direction. And I think I spend too much time deciding whether if this entire email is worth reading, but I think that three seconds, I mean, that's, that's cold, isn't it? I think it's relevant depending on how much email you receive. So if he gets like two emails a day, then maybe it's cold. But my my thinking is if, say, he got 250 emails every single day, mm-hmm. how much time can you actually spend on that? That's a fair point. So I think that all of this stuff is like it's it's in proportion to how much you receive. So sure. I've like you know then I think this is the same for both of us. My way of dealing with email has changed since I started to receive more of it, and the more of it that I receive, the more my my system changes. Yeah, yeah, I feel the same way. Um, the the other thing that um I think this is my thought, but again, I might be tra- taking credit for one of his. Somebody else had said a few years ago that, or at least a few years ago, was the first time I had heard it that emails should be kind of upside down from the way you would write prose. And what I mean by that is the question or purpose or whatever should be darn near the first thing that's said. And yeah. all the expository text should be after that. And that is not at all how I t- naturally write emails. The way I naturally write an email is like I'm trying to build up all the context and tell the story about why it is I'm about to make this request. What do you need to know when I make this request? And then finally, at the end of the email, make the request. That is opposite of the way I think you should write emails. And I've been working for a long time to try to train myself to flip that upside down. And so the first or second sentence in the email is, here's what I am, um, here's what I'm asking. And I know CGP talked about this a lot um, because I believe he had said that he was emailing someone or perhaps somebody emailed him and they said, here's why we might know each other or why you might care about who I am. And then here's the question I'm asking. And that is the right way to write an email. You put that right at the top yeah. and then all the other after. So after I listened to this, I was like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. So I do that now. So like, for example, when I invite people onto the show, uh, onto Inquisitive, I start off by just straight out saying, I would like you to be on my podcast, Inquisitive, and then talk about the show in case they haven't heard of it. Where mm-hmm. before it used to be the other way around. Like, my name is Mike Hurley, and I host this show, and this is what it's about. Blah, blah, blah. Would you like to be on? I, I, I changed yep. that now, the way that that yep. looks. And just in general, like, if I want something from somebody, then I am I kind of tell them up front and then go into a little bit of, like, this is why. Mm-hmm. So I, I, think, I think that that is definitely a better way of sending email. Uh, as a and and also when you receive them like that, they're much nicer because you can kind of see straight away if you're interested in it or not, because people are kind of hitting you with the punchline first. Yep, yep, I completely agree. And so, again, I, I couldn't agree more with what you and CGP have said. That definitely put the purpose, the punchline, like you had just said, Mike, put that right up at the top, and then leave all that explanatory text for after. And maybe it'll get read, maybe it won't, but at least you know that you've gotten your question asked. Um, at one point CGP got really upset 
and said something along the lines of, I think it was to Brady. He said, who are you working with that doesn't reply to confirm a calendar date? Yeah. Yeah. So they were talking about how, I know it's crazy, right? Oh my God. You're working with someone about, okay, you want to do it this time, this time. Great. Is 11 o'clock okay for you? If I don't get the reply where somebody says yes, then I assume it's never happening. Yep. Completely agree. Like what kind of self-serving jerk are you to not confirm that email? Not CGP, not Brady. These are other people that, you know, were never named and will never be named. But just like, like if, Mike, if I said, if you had said to me before we really knew each other, hey, I'd like you to be on at the time command space, you know, does, does 11 o'clock tomorrow work for you? And I don't reply. What, what, why would you show up at 11 o'clock tomorrow? You yeah, I'm going to assume that you're not going to be there. <laughs> right. Like, oh, how hard is it for me to type command R, Y, E, S, period, command enter or whatever the hell it is to send you know also like that is one of the only times that i can ever think of that um it's okay to send a one-word reply to someone yeah exactly yep um and so i just find that uh, as someone who lives and dies by his calendar not leaving that ambiguity i find to be extremely obnoxious all about as obnoxious as being late for things you know there are times that um that you're late because something unexpected happened. And that is still annoying because as far as I'm concerned, you should leave a little wiggle room for the unexpected. But people who are perpetually late for everything, that drives me insane. Because that just that to me is that person saying that their time is more valuable than your time. And that's just freaking rude. I don't know how I got on that tangent, but oh, that's okay. So angry. Don't worry about it. So angry. Um, the other thing that CGP said, which I don't agree with, is I think he said something along, along the lines of he felt that no reply is better than just sending, hey, thanks. And this is what we, we, we've kind of circled around well, this Yeah, we go back times, and forwards on this one because I think it's a difficult one. I don't think I agree. And certainly I wrote here in the show notes when I was listening to the episode that I disagree, but I can understand – I can understand – the other side of that coin. So I don't know, but that was, that was my thoughts. Um, I still, to this very moment have not looked at what you had put in the show notes um, because I wanted to kind of be surprised by it. So what did you have to, to talk about with regard to that episode? I don't really have a lot more than, than, than what you said. Like, Oh, excellent. Okay. uh, I, I think that, you know, I mentioned about how, you know, they went through the same process that we did. Uh, and you know, about the email is not your job thing. I like, you know, that he kind of backs like, Furthers the point, but like if you like my videos, you want me to spend more time making my videos and less time into getting back and f- into getting into back and forth email discussions. Yeah, that is a really good point. I think it's a little less applicable for me because I don't uh, when I'm making the show, I'm making the show, and when I'm at work, I'm at work. You know, I don't have like a project like he does and like you do. Insofar as you have the project of Relay FM, but his point is excellent, and I completely agree with it. But I just think like I think people should listen to this if you if you are a person that gets email even for work I just think that there are some real interesting um ideas around thinking about email like I don't subscribe to everything that they were talking about but it helped me think a little bit more about the way that I use this communication medium as in replying to the ones that I get but also in the way that I communicate with other people it's, I think it's it's it is about efficiency because at the end of the day, email email is flat out a time sink. Like that's what it is. It takes yep. time, and it takes time away from other things. Uh, email is nobody's job. Well, mm, no, it's probably, probably nobody's job. Like email is a facet of people's roles. You know, like say like a support person. But what they're doing is the support. It's not the email processing of email is not a job. You know. It's about what comes out of it or what is attached to it. Um, and I think it's important for people to try and remember that sometimes. Yep, I agree. So we have finally completed All right. the email follow-up, which has been sitting around for weeks. So we have successfully completed our very first full email show, uh, full full follow-up show, Casey. I'm, I, I feel like we've finally grown as a show now because <laughs> we, have, we have created an episode that is 100% follow-up and feedback. I can just imagine 
the just completely smug, humongous grin on John Syracuse's face as I believe he listens to this show. And if he does, I can only imagine the look on his face like right now. Like, you know, the animated version of the Grinch where his smile just goes like all the way up to his eyeballs. That's what I think John Syracuse looks like right now. Do we have to pay him like royalty checks or something? No, absolutely not. Okay. Like as the creator of follow up. No, no, it, it is in the public domain. And now he's going to email me and argue with me about that. I don't think you understand public domain. Exactly. That, that will be the subject of your email. Yep. If you would like to send us feedback, there's a couple of ways you can do that. You can hit us on Twitter. I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Casey is C-A-S-E-Y-L-I-S-S. It's Casey Liss. If you want to uh, find our show notes for this week's episode, you want to point your browser of choice at relay.fm slash analog slash 16. You'll also find a button there that says contact. And you can press that button and you'll send an electronic mail message to myself and Casey Liss. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of Analog. Thanks again to our sponsors for this week. They are the lovely Linda, Human, Project, and Hover. We'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Casey. Goodbye.